Well, this is the Stay Healthy Experience, and I'm Robert Ferguson. Join always with uh, Barbara, a.k.a. BK, That's Burger right. King, Chris. Burger King, yeah. And today, today in studio, we have an amazing individual, person, father. The guy's been in over 150 films. That's awesome. I mean, you hear his voice, you go, I've heard that voice before on some for, animated for TV real. show or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> but thank you, Daniel. I know. Thank you. It's thank so you great to me meet on. you. You see, he dressed up for the occasion as Drew Brees, baby. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, look, underneath, I got a jersey on. So I just need my Charger jersey. Kansas City Royals. No, the shirt's Here. great you have on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. You're beautiful. Awesome. You're awesome. styling. It's Thank Babs. You. I'm going to call it Babs. That's All right. Bad, so, yeah. so that's your new name. My new name, Babs. Now, awesome. Now, now I know you. Carlton. <laughs> now, I'll call you DB. How's that? How about D Money? Ah, oh, D money. Okay, I'll D money. All right, D money. All right, so this is gonna be an interesting show okay. today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a very interesting show. Yeah. Now, I know you did some research, and we didn't talk about Daniel before the show. Right. You always do your research, mm-hmm. and so you realize this. This is Daniel Baldwin of the yes, Baldwin brothers. It's crazy. There's four of them. Yes, I know that. Okay, so do you have an opening question for Daniel that you like to ask today? You know what? I actually do. So, I mean. Obviously, your family is well-known, the Bolden brothers. Everybody knows them, right? How did you get started in acting? I mean, I just would like to know that. We actually, that's impressive. So my father was a high school football coach and a school teacher in our town on Long Island called Massapequa. Mm -hmm. And in 1966, my father, I was six and Alec was eight, and my Mm -hmm. father asked the district to buy him an 8mm camera so he could film the team they were playing the next week, scouting films, and they could, okay. you know, they could do their homework. And so right. the district said no. So my father bought ah. the camera himself, and he shot silent, black and white, high school football. One, one play, movie stop. How one cool. play, movie stop. So he bought that projector from the school home, mm-hmm. one of those drawstring mm-hmm. Yeah, screens, I remember that. Yeah. And we had black and white Friday night Baldwin family movies and all the kids in the neighborhood came. We had movies in our backyard. All they were were silent high school football games. How but cool. it was the coolest thing because my mother made brownies, Kool-Aid, sugared everybody up, right. cupcakes, and we ran around the yard afterwards and we had movie night. So Alec and I decided, well, we would like to try to make our own movies. So we asked my father, can we use the camera? And he said three rules. The camera never leaves the property. Uh-huh. I am not financing any of your movie making. <laughs> <laughs> he so said gonna, that up front. Yeah. You're going to have to figure out at six and eight years old how you make the money to make your own movies. And if you break that camera, you better have the money to fix it. So we said, okay. So we went to Peninsula Golf Course and sold nickel cups of iced tea to the golfers through the fence. Mm-hmm. Once we got another twenty, we were up at the stationery store for another roll of Super 8 film. And we made a series of... Probably about 25 hour-long movies called Joe Cool movies. Joe Cool. Where Joe Cool was Snoopy who flew on the barn. That's how little we were. Alec played Joe Cool, which is a spoof on Sean Connery's James Bond. So every movie, the first like five, are Alec killing me in in my mother's wigs, (laughs) my father's clothes. Every movie started, Alec was we would push my mother's Studebaker and we'd drop it in the neutral. He sat on a telephone book. He had his Harris Tweed oh, go to cute. church uh, jacket on and a bow tie and a flat top haircut. And Alec would go like this. That is so <laughs> cute. The car would <laughs> go down. Awesome. The, we have movies where the car is down the driveway in the street. We couldn't pick it back up. Yeah. And it's down there. And in the middle of shooting a scene in the backyard, you hear, you boys move that car again. My mother's screaming in the yeah, background because the car was in the middle of the road with cars honking like, at it because we left it in the middle out. of the road. So we shot these movies. Uh-huh. I was in the top bunk. Alec was in the bottom bunk. 
and as little little kids, we're definitely going to do it, right? We're going to mm -hmm. become actors. We're definitely going to make movies. We're definitely going to do it. So from the time I was wow. six, I knew it was something that I wanted to do. Seeing myself on a screen was fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, you know, you never know. One in 2,500 actors in Los Angeles right. actually makes enough money from their acting without having to subsidize their income with another occupation. So it's a real long shot to do right. it. Yeah. Um, and I took a lot of heat for it. You know, I was a pretty successful high school athlete, and I'd finish football practice, and my friends would go, hey, Baldy, come on, we're going to go have a beer. But I go, I have rehearsal. And they go, what are you going ah. to be, an actress, Baldy? <laughs> what awesome. are you kidding me? And I, I love go, the accent. You know, and, and, and it was kind of fun going to my 10-year high school reunion to see all my friends yeah. that I, I didn't go out with and I didn't because I was in a play. Yeah. And, uh, and to be on a TV series at the time. And I, I'd be lying to say that wasn't really gratifying to go, didn't turn out so bad, right? did it? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, so. but who had the twinkle first between the, between the four of you? I guess between well, you and well, Alec, right? From a, from a professional standpoint, we went, you know, in chronological order, Alec was, was the oldest. He's the oldest. And, mm -hmm. and by far, he's had the, the greatest success as an actor. It's funny, we're so competitive in my family to this day, we can't play tennis, play golf, but without trying to kill each other to win. <laughs> and, and people, I think, assume that we would be terribly competitive from a career standpoint. Right. You know, I love that my older brother does so well. I really do. Yeah. And, the, and it's a double-edged sword. There are times when I'd be an idiot not to acknowledge that four of us with one that's a big, big A movie yeah. star doesn't get, garner attention for me in, from time to time. But I don't think it's ever gotten me a job. And there's the other side of that sword. There's the person that Alec or Billy or Steven has worked with that they didn't like them at all. Right. And suddenly I'm mm -hmm. on there go, yeah, I worked with your brother. <laughs> and, they give, to, and yeah. they give you the look and they go oh uh -huh. I don't think that went very well you know yeah. so so it can, it can work both ways but yeah Alex you know he's he's done very very well for himself and I think uh, there's there's a um, interesting dichotomy in the family now with the current president and Alex SNL skits and, you know, <laughs> right. and how that all plays out because uh -huh. we've got staunch Democrats and, and one, one brother Stephen who's a staunch Republican and mm -hmm. watching it all uh, affect our personal lives is been pretty crazy for me you know cause yeah, what is thanksgiving dinner like with, yeah. with all four brothers in the same room well you know, know the answer to that for me so everyone's going to get together mm -hmm. and i'm going to uh um greek peak and, and uh, with my kids to the water park i'm not going with the whole family for thanksgiving oh, i'm gonna take my kids I'm gonna go, and i do it almost every year because okay. it's so overwhelming to me I and mean, we're big personalities yeah. and so you know Watching, you know, they always say when I'm sober and in an AA meeting, you never want to be the first person to start to tell a story because I'm going to say, and I went there and two guys got killed. By the time you get to the third, he goes, 57 people crashed in an airplane. Right. I was oh, right there. And like the last the one guy, up, the exactly. one up. So yeah. to be in my family, <laughs> you never, you know, that's tough. That's a tough act to follow, man. You don't want to go first. I mean, I very competitive. Last. I mean, the stories you've, you've shared are just hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, was know, a, yeah. that was a great um, story about how you started. So young. Had no we idea. have all of those movies. I was going to ask, do you have those? You know, uh, I think Alec has them. He got them. We had friends, the Cornelius brothers, Keith and Kevin Cornelius, that also, as time went on and the movies got more advanced, yeah. we incorporated kids from the neighborhood. And, you know, we, we did uh, Attack of the Ishka Bibbles, which was our first horror film. 
And ishka like bibbles. Yeah, the ishka bibbles. And, <laughs> and we actually <laughs> we actually have a whole bunch of us underwater holding our breath in the lake and we start coming out of the water you know with these masks and monster things on them we were, we, it was quite intricate you know we had no ability to edit it so you had to do what's called editing in the can which meant you had to shoot in perfect sequential order so you know you're running towards me and you've got a stick in your hand that looks like a gun and you go and then stop and then i climb and then i give him the camera and i'd be up in the tree with the knife like stop and then I had to climb the tree with right. the camera. And, yeah, um, so it, it had to be shot in perfect sequential order mm -hmm. the way you wanted it edited right in the can, you know, the canister of film without being able to cut it. Because we great. didn't have, we were six, eight, ten, you know. Now when you, when you yeah. think back to those early days of like, you know, creating movies in the backyard, how much of what you guys discovered naturally is actually accurate in how they produce movies today? You know what I mean? Like, did you just, you know, because... Because today you have these YouTubers, right, who are becoming stars, right. and they're doing things that go against what Hollywood would normally say you could do as far as a shoot, right. but yet it's now become the norm. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, when reality television, and I compare all that to that's kind of reality, because it's not a scripted situation. Yeah. So there's not a, a plan. There's not, um, um, Robert is not he's in the movie and we're not sure he's a bad guy as a matter of fact we don't even suspect he's a bad guy and yeah. so you choose every time i shoot robert to shoot him on a little bit of an angle from a little further away and as mm. more gets revealed about robert's character i start to move the camera a little bit in the next scene forward and mm -hmm. a little closer and a little forward and a little closer revealing more about you it's a it's the power of suggestion with how you're photographing the scene, mm -hmm. and finally at the end when we find out you're actually the killer, I'm Extreme. right here when you look the girl right in the eye and go, I killed him and I'm gonna kill you too. And you, go, <laughs> and you go, oh my god, that guy that I, you know, it was Robert that All did. Along. So there's there's camera stuff that's involved. None of that's being taken into consideration usually in a lot of these types of things, and none yeah. of us really thought reality TV was gonna stay along. But I'll tell you something, from that that. A, a great story. Do we have time for it? Is everybody to tell you this oh, story? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, got, I got this great thing to tell I mean, there, I mean, there are some things, some questions I got for you. <laughs> okay. I mean. So, so I'm going I'm I'm to tell you my... Yeah, you can go. I'm going to tell you my eight minute out story. <laughs> okay. This was one of the scariest moments yeah. that relates all the way back to those years of acting together with my older brother. Uh-oh. So they want me to read the, the famous baseball movie, Eight Men Out, John Sales. <clears throat> so I'm sitting in the in the waiting room. Yeah. And the, the casting director goes... Yeah, 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 I know, I know. We already checked, but he's doing some movie called Beetle Goose or something like that. He's not available, <laughs> but don't worry about it. Because I got his brother in the waiting room right now. He looks just like him. He's even bigger than him, and he played baseball in high school. So Eight Men Out is about the Chicago uh, Black Sox scandal where they fixed the World Series in, 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 in uh, oh, really? 1908. Oh. Right? So, they did, so John Sales did this movie about the fixing of the World Series. So it was eight men out. They were the eight guys that fixed the, the World Series. So okay. in the scene, Chick Gandell is the first baseman. He's the most powerful guy, hands in baseball, tough guy. And, and they offered this movie. Obviously, I'm listening. They offered it to Alec, and he turned it down because he was doing Beetlejuice. Yeah. And so now I'm reading for it, and I went, oh, my God. Alec can't play baseball compared to me. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm in. You know. Mm -hmm. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. They bring me in, and I read for it. And in the scene... Chick Gandell knows the guys in this bar are fixing the World Series, but he can't tell them that he knows. Mm. 
because mm-hmm. he was told by one of the other guys that's on the fix, look, you got to get in on this. It's big money. Uh-huh. So he tells a story. So he goes, you know, man, one time I was boxing with this guy, you know, and, and, and I'm walking around on something underneath my feet and it's hurting my feet. I look down, it's my teeth. He's knocked two of my teeth out. What a stupid thing for us to do because the easy money would have been, uh, and I stood up, and it's not in the script says he stands up. Uh-huh. I stood up, I hit him a couple times, pow, pow, and I throw two lefts. <laughs> I said, he hits me a couple times, pow, pow. And later on we meet and we split the money 50-50 nobody gets hurt so I'm letting him know I could have fixed this fight when I was a kid mm-hmm. I'm letting him know I'd be willing to do this by telling this story right mm. and hopes that they'll come to me going hey well we got so yeah I do the I read it I get it on tape I get a call from my agent hey John sales saw the tape he wants to see you it's a callback so now I'm I'm, I'm, I'm getting close I mean yeah, the director it's good news I get in there and I sit down with John Sales and he's, you know, he directed Mate Wan, he's an award-winning director, and he goes, so obviously you and your brother Alec rehearsed this thing and you guys, you know, you knew I had Alec. I went, no. I said, I never spoke to Alec about it. He goes, it, 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 it's okay to say you spoke to your brother. I know you rehearsed this with him and uh-huh. went over this. I went, I never lie. I, I did not rehearse this with my brother. I will tell you that I was in the waiting room and I heard the casting director sound like she was on the phone with you or somebody Uh saying that Alec was doing Beetlejuice and that he wasn't available. So I would be lying to say I wasn't excited because I can actually play baseball. And he went, Barbara, can you go get Alec Baldwin's tape, please? My brother sits at the table and he goes, now what we should have done and stands up, improv, not in the script, and says, I hit him a few times. Pow, pow, he says. No way. Two lefts. That's crazy. He says, he hits me two times. Pow, pow. And later on, we meet, and we split the money. And he does this with his hands. Oh, my gosh. Exactly the three improvs that I added to the scene. Right, yeah. In the exact same moment, unscripted physically or in dialogue. And I'm looking at it going, I'm dead. You're never going to believe that I didn't rehearse that. Yeah. How do you... But that was that... I agree. The nature of what he wanted to do and how he was going to make it his was the exact same thing I did. I didn't get the job. <laughs> I mean, I really think he, he looked at me like, dude, why would you lie to me? And I, right. And I wasn't lying. But it was frightening to me to see that he would do three individual things unscripted and even verbally say the same words, and we never talked to each other about it. That's wow. crazy. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's really cool. Well, I mean, there's, there's a <clears throat> that parlays in my mind to this idea of what brought us together, mm-hmm. and that is health. Mm-hmm. Right. For so many reasons. I mean, so today, yeah. you know, Daniel is known one as an actor. Yep. And also he's this, I don't know, Robin Hood of helping people experience sobriety. Mm-hmm. Right. Get past the challenges of addiction. Yeah. Um, and then you took control of your own health. I mean, there's so much to talk about there. Yeah. But what is it? What is the life like for Daniel? Right. Because people see you doing the work in recovery. Right. Then people hear that. Oh, he's in another movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's on a TV show. Right. Wow. He's uh, improved his own health. He's lost 60 pounds. And, and it's amazing. You know, I mean, it's like you're like known for so many things. You know, I think my life changed the most. The two most significant things for me was my personal relationship with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. uh, and becoming a born again Christian in 2002. Um, and even during that period, I turned my back, I believe, on my savior and didn't get sober and di- made some really questionable decisions, mm-hmm. um, which I have a lot of, uh, had a lot of guilt about and everything else. But I believe God kept me alive through the, the terrible things I was doing, drugs and alcohol-wise. Um, so, and I'd say the second most significant thing 
um, was when I actually got sober in 2006. Um, and in conjunction with those two things, the model that I was missing was the 12th step, was the most. And in the 12th step, in any 12 step program, mm -hmm. it talks about having had a spiritual awakening, we reach out to the addict or the alcoholic or whatever the person is suffering from in an, in, in, in an effort to help them and complete the circle. Because mm -hmm. people helped me, people stood by me, people showed up at my door, people came to the rehab, people took me to meetings, people sponsored me, yeah. you know? And I was missing the service model of it. So when I asked God, what did he want me to do? It was very clear to me that God wanted me to serve. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that God takes care of his soldiers and, um, <clears throat> and I became a soldier for Christ. So I don't preach my religion a lot. This is probably more than I've talked about religion on camera in a long time. Yeah. But I live by example. So when someone's suffering and I reach out in a public way on Facebook or whatever and a mom right. calls me, uh, I just show up, you know, and I, 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 you've seen me in the right. last 24 hours. I, I mean, I'll, I'll walk them right to their insurance cards, getting them in, getting the plane ticket. You know, sometimes they don't have money. I got to find a guy I know that has the dough to yeah. buy them the ticket. But I get that person for the sake of their children because that's what God wants me to do. With you, you did not tell the total truth right here because I've been trying to work with him <laughs> forever. <laughs> oh, I let's mean, hear this. Well, <clears throat> I'm a type 2 diabetic. Mm -hmm. And that came to me in a crashing way. I got, I was on a flight back from San Antonio with Greg Hanley, who you guys know very well, mm -hmm. my mentor, sponsor, and very good friend, good friend of Robert's. Um, and I, I had to pee, I had to urinate on the plane 12 times from the mm -hmm. time I went from San Antonio. And I thought, what's wrong with me? I mean, like, right. I, and suddenly I'd really have to go. Well, that was that, it's called the, um, um, the, the honeymoon phase of becoming a diabetic. Right. I was just be, I'm walking through oh, the okay. door now. I couldn't reverse it. Right. And so I called, I called Robin, my fiance, who is a medical intuitive. And mm -hmm. she said, Daniel, you need to go to the hospital. And I said, no, no, it's not like that. It's like some weird flu or something. She goes, she flew out the next day, hmm. made me go to Dr. Binya. And I don't know if you know much about sugar and what levels you should be, mm -hmm. but you know, you want to well, be she's a nutritionist also. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so you want to be 80, 120, or whatever. Yeah. Now guess what my sugar was? Oh, it's got to be, I'm just thinking something. Go astronomical, highest you've <laughs> ever heard. Go the highest you've ever heard a human being live through. I don't through. know, jeez. I don't know, 200? <laughs> 690. They thought the machine was broken. They took oh my me in, gosh. in an ambulance to the hospital and said, mm -hmm. you're pre-stroke. Um, um, uh, um, uh, or, or cardiac arrest. You're, you're 600. I've never seen a sugar. They got me in the hospital. It come down to 530 or whatever. And they went, boop, boop. They put the machine on the whole bit. I'm thinking, am I going to die? And they're like, I've never seen someone have their sugar that high. Yeah. My triglycerides were over 3,000. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in trouble. And so, and, and I still didn't, you know, I, they gave me the medicine and stuff to bring it down and everything. But I, so when Robert explained to me for a diabetic what diet free life was, mm -hmm. how you can eat things in proper proportion and in proper combination so they right. work together with your body. I had never heard anyone say that. It was always about metformin and insulin and oh, all these right. things that were going to help me. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> what Robert also gave me was, he said, I don't think you understand. We can fire your system back up so that your pancreas is developing the insulin on its own. We just need to set, reset. It's a reset, what I had to yeah. <clears throat> So 
you know, I thought about that, and I thought about the difference between being in the United States and being in China, where they, you know, or, or different philosophies where we want to work and help your organs do their job themselves, <clears> as right. opposed to doing the job for your organs, and then they stop doing it themselves because they get a message to the brain that says, oh, you don't need to you do that need, anymore. Yeah. Right. Well, I was much more interested in the concept that Robert had. I want, mm -hmm. and, and also, I have to add this in, I'm 59 years old. And at 59 years old, I still play full court basketball with 17-year-old mm -hmm. kids, and you know I, I'm very active. Right. I don't want to lose that. I, I don't want to lose the, the 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 want and desire yeah. to go out there and do those things. And that requires a certain diet. But you're not going to change mm -hmm. significantly. And I believe this. And you know, Weight Watchers, this one, I'm sure they all have their place and work for certain mm -hmm. people. Right. But the fact of the matter is. I wanted to learn how to eat things that I still wanted to eat. Exactly. The reality of changing significantly your diet at 59 and never going to eat this or never is such it's BS. It's right. not going to happen. It's just not so real. How do I how do I learn how to be able to not every day, but still right. have three strips of bacon with my eggs and blah blah. And how do I because I'm gonna how do I learn how to have a brownie every once in a while? as a right. diabetic? That's a a terrifying right. word, yeah. you know. But what I eat, ate for dinner in balance with offsetting the fact that I'm going to, and do you have to have a piece of pie this big? No. Right. Guess what, Fatso? You can have, <laughs> and I'm speaking about myself, you can stop eating half a pie, mm. you know, because I could knock back half a pie and watch an NFL game in a second. Mm -hmm. So Robert taught me about portion control and combination. And That's I went, awesome. um, because we, I don't know if you know um, the story of the, of the, uh, documentary i just finished but no you, you got to tell the story yeah you do have to share that one yeah yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. so um but. well I, I i knew my weight i went in to go get my physical and my and i have this lovely chinese doctor who's a very very good friend of mine her and her husband uh -huh. and she turned around julie and she said to me she said very meek with her clipboard <laughs> she said daniel do you know how much are you weigh right now and i said i don't know 250 and she goes she gave me the I look. Said, <laughs> so, so I, looked the her, look. I looked at her and I said, 260? And she goes, your A1C is back up to, you know, above nine. Yeah. Oh. Above nine. So I was nine, six. And when was this? This was, well, the nine, six and the weight was in the fall okay. of 2018. Okay. So then I went in again and I, I didn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I started, and so we upped the medication. Okay. And, and then and so I dropped down to, you know, eight eight or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, still way up there A one C wise, and I was two hundred and eighty five pounds. And she goes, being two hundred eighty five pounds is not good for you. And yeah. with your triglycerides and your A one C, she goes, the alarming thing is that last year you weighed two fifty two. So in a year, wow, you put okay. on over thirty pounds. Wow. She said, that's a significant weight gain for somebody yeah. your age. And mm -hmm. she said, I'm worried. <clears throat> PJ Raynor, who the movie My Promise to PJ is about, mm -hmm. when Facebook came out, it for guys my age, it reintroduced me to people I hadn't talked to in 30 years. Right. right. Yeah. Suddenly, you know, hey, Daniel, you I'm looking at the picture going, and then I'm Who's going, that? right? <laughs> I, I, well, I, 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 it's not. It looks kind of familiar. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was in English class with you in 11th grade. I'm like, well, you got to do better than that. Did you live near me or, you know? Right. And I'm looking, I'm going, oh, it's yeah. It's Babs. Well, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Barbara Jean, PJ's mom, okay. was my brother Alex's first girlfriend in junior high school. I mean, oh I knew, I knew they were the Constantinos. I knew Barbara Jean, Rosie, I knew their whole family. And so my son's in trouble. 
He's facing charges. It's a heroin oh, problem. Blah, okay. blah. So right, I right. talked to the DA. I talked to the judge. I put him in a program. He does this to defer the charges. He gets healthy. He does it, but he gets out and he won't work a program. He won't go to meetings. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm great. Okay. I said, PJ, you're never going to make it. Now, right. PJ worked in this studio. He, he right. knew yes, Robert very yes. well. Yes, he, he, he did he share that built, with me. He built that's, this. That's right. a great story, yeah. So PJ goes, he, he relapses. He's in trouble again. He's stealing stuff from a construction site that he worked at. And now he's got more charges. Oh, no. They bring all the stuff back that he did before. Mm-hmm. So I talked to the judge. I said, listen, it's, it's, not a, it's a non-sexual, non-violent offender. Um, you know, he's a, got a drug problem. Do you yeah. really want to put him through the system and he's going to just end up end up in prison the rest of his life? Or give me another shot at rehabilitating. Right. He goes, let's put him in again. I put him in nice. again. He smokes weed oh in the place and tests dirty. Wow. Oh. So he's sick, sick. And he smoke, he's doing drugs yeah. in the facility. Knowing he's facing now like nine years or something. Oh my gosh. So they re-violate him. But now I got to fly out there and go get him. And talk to the judge and meet him. Promise him I'll show up for stuff. You know, I had to. I had right. a big bar and steal this time. I put him in this time, and we sit down together. And I said, I want you to write me a bucket list of the ten things you always wanted to do. That if you end up in prison or you overdose, you won't get it. You put him in descending order. So right. I took the list out I wrote in 2006. We had one match to run with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. That's so I awesome. said, you get two years sober. And I will fly you first class with you, and I will take my fat, tired butt out there and run with those bulls with you. Well, he got three and a half years sober. He uh, hooked up with some bad people. He went out. He relapsed one night, and then the one first time he shot again, he overdosed on fentanyl and died. So I lost PJ, who helped here. He helped, you know, Soba. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he helped so many. He, he was really a special kid, you know. Yeah. And I've lost hundreds of people that I've literally a couple hundred now. Mm-hmm. That I knew in varying degrees, but no one that I loved like this. This, right. this and this was my uh, my pride and joy of uh, you know where I said I use him as an example. Look at this kid; he was going to prison, you know, and he did it. Yeah. And, and I and then I introduced him to P, and P would help me twelve step guys. Now he's gone. So I think part of that weight gain and that depression and blah blah, blah for me was about PJ. So I decided February seventh that I was going to go back to what Robert had taught me. Mm. I brought out the book. I didn't say anything to him. I didn't say anything. <laughs> it was an internal. I had already been taught what I had to do. And I had been given I'm pretty methodical when I want to do something. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I went to a real simple out-of-your-book diet plan, and I ate the same meals. I rotated them every three days. So I, day one, I ate menu a yeah day two b day three c back to a just kept it simple for five months oh wow good i did it wow. i went from 285 to 228 in five months um my a1c dropped from eight point high eight point something to Dude. six point something that's amazing um i flew with pj's ashes to barcelona i drove to pamplona and I ran with his ashes with the bullets. Oh my God. I'm like, and Whoa. so, and then chills. I entered the uh, stadium in front of the 40,000 fans that were all there from the bull run. I hit my knees and I spewed PJ's ashes in the mm. stadium. And so I kept my promise. Um, <clears throat> oh, man. It, it won't bring him back, but, but I kept my promise to him. Mm. And so, Mm. We uh, we chose to run in dead man's curve 
yeah. which was the most dangerous World War II drug addicts want to run with. <laughs> run <laughs> of course you choose that place, right? Yeah. So PJ said, we got to do something when we're in the curve. we got to <laughs> like high five or whatever. And I yeah. said, no, that's lame. We're not high fiving. I said, do you remember Desmond Howard? He was a running back um, at, from Michigan. And, Mich and he, two, two weeks before they announced the Heisman Trophy, uh -huh. Desmond Howard ran a punt back in the Michigan-Ohio State game for a touchdown and ran right up to the camera and did the Heisman pose Ooh. to the camera, which I thought was going to jinx right. him. I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> Either it's the ballsiest move and cockiest thing I've ever yeah. seen in my life. Yeah. I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to run in dead man's curve mm -hmm. and I'm going to Heisman pose a bull in the curve. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and so I hit the curve. That's so awesome. And I Heisman. I mean, look how nervous he is. in his. like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you something. The Was bulls, man. I'm making the turn, and you don't realize. They say to you, and you hear the statistic. That's crazy. They're 1,200 to 1,500 pound Brahma bulls, and they will kill you. People die yeah. doing it. But they're 30. They run at 33. I mean, they're super fast, way faster than a human being. But when they're running, I, I, I went like this, and I held onto the rail of this the stanchion that they put up. Crazy. Like the ground starts shaking as they get like closer. An earthquake. Mm. It is, man. They're powerful. Mm -hmm. And I turned around and I ran. And when I hit the curve, there was one right here, and you know, eleven of them around me and behind me. And there was nowhere to go. Oh my god! It was gosh. really an insane thing to do. You know, it was it was really actually very scary. Yeah. I, mean, I was running for my life. Yeah, for sure. Whoo! Wow. But I That's got out of there. And, an but tell you, I mean, he actually, wow. yeah, he got hit. Right? Then one of the Did you really? They, they hit so, his arm. So or something. I so I the promised horn. I'll run in the curve. I said I'll Heisman pose. I said I'll touch a bull and I'll touch the bull's horn. He goes, you're not going to touch it. I go, I will touch the bull's horn. Yeah. So I have, I shot 10 cameras while I was running with the bulls. I made it into a movie. Yeah. So I interview, training, diet-free life. Um, that is amazing. And, and I've turned it into a pretty cool film, but I got to show you this. You, <laughs> <If> you thought. <laughs> that so is I, incredible. I'm, I'm running, and I realized that as the last bull went by, and I have it, it's really cool shot in slow motion, I just touched the bull. And I, you can see my hand hit it in the in the butt. You're like I'm good, got it. And I touched it, and I got done. And I thought to myself, I go, you know what? I never touched his horn. I don't think I touched the horn of the you bull. Have it on film. And I said, I said, wow, man, I, those those were my goals. And I said during the during the filming of it, these are the things I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, how many people try to talk you out of that? Oh my God. Well, <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of people. So, yeah. So I get done. The adrenaline's pumping. I spewed his ashes. And my left elbow is blown up like a half a baseball sticking out like this. Yeah. And I thought, what did I hit? Well, the adrenaline was flowing so much. Yeah. That when I ran, and that, that's right after I did the Heisman pose, look closely. Oh. The bull's horn smashes me in the elbow. Oh, my God. And I don't realize, and I went, all I could think of, my, I didn't know if I broke my elbow, and I went, I touched the horn. Right. right. You did. I did touch so the horn. you didn't feel it at the moment, I didn't say moment, who though. was going to initiate <laughs> right. the contact. That's so he, crazy. He, he, he hit me. And I remember it knocking me over because you know they're running and it just it, he slammed me with his horn. Wow! And my whole my whole arm. <laughs> oh, that was, isn't that's crazy, but yeah, it was pretty what cool. What an amazing story. Well, it's funny with the the other day we were you know uh, meeting with some people and yeah. Daniel was sharing the story, mm -hmm. and a gentleman who was a former pro uh, tennis player uh -huh. started sharing a story about a young lady he knew who uh -huh. was on her way to become a pro tennis player. She was mm -hmm. going to break records. People expected big things from her. Right. And she wanted to go run with the Bulls. So she ran with the Bulls. Oh, she did. But somewhere in that run, 
she fell and a bull stepped on the back of her knee and uh, never played tennis again. Yeah. So that's that's not something you play with. Well, I'm going to tell you that I learned a few things. There are three types of bull runners. There are the guys that start to run ahead, and when the bulls catch up, they dive out of the way. Mm-hmm. There are the people that let the bulls run by and then think they're going to catch up to the bull, and they're not. They're okay. so fast. When they hit a straightaway, they're gone. Right. And then there's the idiots like myself <laughs> that actually try to run in the pack with the bulls. Well, Dead Man's Curve is a sh- an acute right-hand turn, and what, what's so dangerous about it is yeah. the bulls, even if they get close to the inside of the turn, they swing out so wide that they slam into people and crush them into the oh, wall. Oh, right, yeah. And so, And once they crush them and stop them, the bull stops That's... and then starts goring them and, so, and, and kills them. Right. So Robin and I, the people that live along the where the run is, make thousands and thousands of dollars a year by renting their balconies. So you For can people watch to watch the run. Yeah. So I want to observe this a couple of days in a <laughs> row and have a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> so I watch the first day, and that's where the turn is. I go, I'm going to get a little wide and then shoot right for the inside like wall. Like a race because, car. Right. I'm picking <laughs> yeah. my apex. Yeah, yeah. So I, I watch first day. Perfect. The second day, Robin, don't ever bring your spouse with you on this event. <laughs> oh, no. This kid turned around and because you can't control what the people in front of you are going to do. Right. And they fall and stuff. And suddenly, well, yeah. you know, bulls and coming at like, you and you got to right. dive over them. Or, I would imagine it's chaos. This kid turned around and the bull's horn just ripped his throat and his neck open under his chin i mean full on just ripped like an explosion yeah and so gosh. we're looking at the kid and they they come out and they're holding his neck together and he's bleeding all over the place and robin goes she's like hell That's no right where you were gonna run and i looked at her and i went she's like yeah but he did it wrong you know <laughs> he I'm like, turned around I'm like, trying, I'm going, you don't pose for the bull the guy you gotta run oh right. my gosh oh my god the whole night you're gonna get killed. And you're gonna, I was like, oh, you yeah. can't Been stressful fill for my mind with negative thoughts right now. God's got this now. I'm I'm gonna go untouched and pretty much except for my elbow, I went untouched. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that just shows that's the like, the the extent that you'll go to in order to get the outcome that you know that's desirable. Yeah, you know it's it's kind of the and same a thing. It's a promise he made. Yeah, I mean you, know? you made the that promise. That was the biggest part for me. Yeah, right. That I didn't feel, and I'll say that. Um, I don't think I got the mythical um, resolution I thought I might get, mm. like that it just all went away. Um, it didn't all go away. Um, I missed PJ. Mm. I'm, I'm satisfied that he watched me do that and that he was definitely there with yeah. me. I mean, I felt his presence in so many things, so many weird things that happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like this guy owned this wine store and we, I needed locations to put cameras. Right. He was on the street after the turn. I was going to be running right at his store. <laughs> and um, and he turned around. He was this intense Italian guy, or Spanish guy. Uh-huh. And he goes, Daniele, takes me by the... And I got it on film. It's in the movie. Takes me by the face like this. He goes, you must concentrate, Daniel. <laughs> you do not run with the bull from here. You run with the bull from here. And this guy looked like an older version of PJ, like he reminded wow. me of PJ. Oh, wow. And he was so trying to tell me that there's too many variables. It's not you do the best you can on certain basic guidelines, right? Right. But you got to have some luck and and so, and some guidance doing mm-hmm. this. And when I made that turn, right after that elbow thing, six guys just piled up. You can see them standing there. They all turned to try to run. They weren't. They didn't have enough momentum. They tripped over each other. And I just went around one. 
the bull hit me in the back a little bit too. Ugh. And I mean, I was with, with like a half a second, and I could have it could have been a really bad outcome. Wow. Um, yeah, it was just ama- amazing the whole thing, you mm-hmm. know. And I there's a part of me that would love to go back and do it again, and blah. blah and then there's a part of me that went, you were really lucky, nothing happened. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and mission accomplished, right? Yeah. So the next goal is to make the documentary available to the yeah to the masses. Yeah. Move that's, some people. That's coming. That will definitely and, you know, move and, people. And I, and I don't say this lightly. Um, but honestly, had it not been for my relationship with you and learning about this, I, I, I know me, I could lose 20 pounds quickly. That's a, a false loss. You know how, what I mean by that, where mm-hmm. you really didn't lose the weight by changing something significant about your life. You kind of cheated so you could be under a certain weight for your insurance test, you know, right. that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Or that wrestler that wants to drop unhealthily right. to it's a, a lower weight class. a yeah, temporary, a temporary fix. It, it is. It's mm-hmm. totally a temporary fix. Mm-hmm. But it was a lifestyle change for me, you know. I mean, even after I knew I would bounce some, and I went from two twenty and I put fifteen back on. And that's where I am now. But now the bar, though, for me, because of my relationship with you, and I thought, you know, I could go to two fifteen and just rip up now at, at almost sixty. You know, I mean, the difference, honestly, in in Robin, my significant other, yeah. is in really good shape, mm-hmm. 52 years old, you know, she trains. That's well, awesome. And I got to a point where I looked myself in the mirror coming out of the shower, <laughs> and I went, man, I got to start turning the lights off. You know I mean? Like, it, I was embarrassed. Oh. And so, and now I, uh, the bar is raised. I mean, look at the shape he's in and, yeah. and, and, and the discipline he has. And I think, man, I could look like that. You know, I could, or I could look a lot better than I am now, you right. know? And, I, and, and that's been the rededication that now we're going to do. Now that he's finally it. woke up and, and still, <laughs> that's right, he'll I'm let woke. me in the sandbox. He finally woke. <laughs> well, I mean, but you know, as, as you say that word, <coughs> woke up, and then I think of the lifestyle that you have and people yeah. who are actors. And I think of, I mean, this guy's done movies with Oliver Stone. Right. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. But at the same time, you had a lot of friends mm-hmm. who their lives came to an end prematurely mm-hmm. based on their lifestyle. Yeah. Right. So the was it Farley that you knew like. Some of the stories that you've shared with me about these celebrities, and you could yeah. see that death was in front of them. Right. Man, I could cry to think about how bad I'd love to bring John Candy in here and say, man, listen to my friend Robert. Let him help you. Right. And here was a, a loving, giving, great guy who was a tremendous overeater, had no discipline, mm-hmm. and, and had so much still to give. Right. You know, and, and, and he's gone. You know, uh, that great talent is gone. And his his biggest sin was the food. I mean, he did not understand. I don't think people can properly grasp. Maybe this is a, another show down the road to do. But mm-hmm. the, the idea of how simple eating in balance is and how, you know, that you, you, you dread the idea that you know, I'm never going to have a piece of pizza again. And I didn't eat pizza for years because mm-hmm. of the diabetes. And it, right. wasn't, it, it wasn't that you couldn't eat a piece of pizza. It was... You can't eat a whole pie anymore, right. and and but you can, but it has to be coordinated with other things, and you can't do pizza and French fries, and pizza, you know, right. certain right. stuff you can't do, you know. And uh, I learned that from you. you know, That's it, so it, awesome. It it, it it saved my life. What you taught me saved my life. Well, thank you. And now and That's now we're amazing. saving more lives. I know. I love it. You can't keep it if you don't give it away, bro. Right. And then you have, like, like Farley was a friend of yours as well, right? I was with Chris just days before he passed away doing an intervention with him and his brother and 
some other guys at the low Santa Monica Beach Hotel. And that was the more alarming thing. The drug addiction is obvious. You know, you can do X amount more heroin or cocaine or whatever you're going to do, and your life ends right there. You overdose. Mm -hmm. But for Chris, the alarming thing for me was he was shooting a movie up in Big Bear, and I, how big he'd gotten. He was already a big guy, but right. he moved real well for right. a guy. You know? Yeah, he was oh, really he could, physical fall. comedian. <laughs> he you know? like, he, so he could have <laughs> lost 50 and still been a bigger guy, but you know, now he was... Like a hundred and fifty over. I mean, he was he was he was over. He, he looked like he was over three hundred when I saw him. Right. And I remember saying these words. We were out on the balcony, and I said, "Chris, if you don't do something, you're gonna die. Like now, you're the, I could see his coloring and and he you know he'd always ah yo right. and he'd say oh you guys ah and he's trying to distract <laughs> you with the zaniness and and I said no bro. Yeah, you can and see. And then I think it was two or three days later, his brother found him in his hallway in his apartment in Chicago. He was That's dead. Horrible. Wow. But you know when when there is for those people out there that don't understand addiction, they do make ch uh, terrible choices. It is it is a choice, but it's yeah. a choice with a predisposed disease. So I'll say this: this is the analogy I always give. <clears throat> if someone gets cancer and they find out. God forbid, male or women get breast cancer. Let's use that as an example. Right. You have breast cancer, and you say, you know, God forbid, Barbara, you have to go get these treatments, and you have to get them on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the next six weeks. We can arrest this. We can help you. But and you decide you're going golfing or to Vegas on the Fridays because you really don't want to go get the treatment. Right. Now whose fault is it? Mm -hmm. So you're sick. But if you're not going to take some accountability and some responsibility right. for your recovery, Dancing. yeah, I know. But the Friday ones are really inconvenient because I go to lunch with my friends. Well, okay, well, right. hopefully we two treatments a week will help you. Yeah, and well, it's the same as the diet. Exactly. It's a slow, terrible death. The diseases and the organ things, the breakdown and everything that happens, particularly when you get older. Mm -hmm. And so you look at people who I say, I can help you with this. This is my friend's book. This is my friend's program. And I just, you know, I, I don't know everything you do. I just know what I have learned from you, right. and I just do it. But what was the line that he said that uh, uh, the deadliest enemy, the number one terrorist to this country is? Excess body fat. Excess fat. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at how many organ breakdowns there are that are directly related, mm -hmm. cancer, Incredible. everything, to fat. Mm -hmm. Really, when you think about it, you pick what charity that you want to work with for the variety of things. Your program is helping almost all of them. Yeah. I mean, excess fat is is how proud. Up, how proud must your parents be to know that you're going to help change it? My mom would say, "So what does he do again?" <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's better than your mom is saying. Who? who? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not sure what Lawrence, that's my middle name. So they go, what Lawrence. is Lawrence doing out there in California? Yeah. We still don't know what he's doing. Uh, just just <laughs> living it up. Well, I mean, my mom obviously does because she lost 125 pounds doing exactly yeah. all wow. this. And no. mom is a two-time cancer survivor, uh, breast cancer. So, I mean, so she gets it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, she sees where it can be beneficial for other people. And so we just keep it moving, man. Just keep it moving. Now, don't let this guy like fool you because you know Daniel can do a whole bunch of different things. Like yeah. I found out, actually, oh, no. we, we could do a show on things I find out about Daniel Baldwin. Oh, tell me. Oh, that'd be fun. So I just found out <laughs> the other day with Daniel uh -huh. that he was in a video with Tupac. What? Yeah, baby. <laughs> oh wait, is that where? I mean, t tell her. About okay, it. so is that where the? 
Oh no! I'll let you. I'll let you tell me the story. What's the story? What are you gonna say? Go ahead. Because <laughs> yeah, you were telling <laughs> me about the sign. What was the sign? Where the sign comes from? Oh, this. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. We got. Yeah, we got to talk okay. about. Okay. Oh, it's not that. First, tell, that. That. Well, tell that. about Tupac. Okay, let's so, hear about Tupac. So I do this movie, Nothing But Trouble. Mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd's directing his first movie. Uh huh. I know Danny. I was a stand-up comedian. I started in the business as a stand-up, and so he says to me, "Hey, man, I'm doing this movie." Would you be in it? And I said, Yeah, what is it? And he tells me the zany <laughs> script, but he tells me the cast. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Chevy Chase, Demi Moore. I'm like, who doesn't want to be in that movie? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the early nineties, who doesn't want to be yeah, in that movie? Yeah, how fun. So I'm like, I do it, I'm in. So you play this drug dealer, we pull you over, <laughs> you come in, but okay. So the premise of the movie is that Aykroyd is this old judge in this little town called Vulcanvania in New Jersey. And Candy's his <laughs> nephew and pulls people over and then they take all their stuff and they kill him. Uh-huh. But it's done in a comedic way. So they pull me over as a drug dealer and, and I got like four scenes and they kill me with, uh-huh. with, with the people in my car. The next guys to get pulled over are Digital Underground, the band. Oh. Right? <laughs> Tupac's first album he ever rapped on, uh-huh. the first song oh, yeah. he ever rapped on was same song. All around the world, he was in the back dancing. Song. So, oh. so, so, Tupac, and so, so, so now we're done with the movie. Get down. And Ackroyd calls me and goes, "Hey, man, remember that band Humpty Dump?" Bubba? I go, "Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, Digital Underground. I'm hip." You know, Ackroyd wasn't a rap guy. Right. I was yeah, a right. rap guy all the way back in 1976. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I, I mean, I was watching guys do rap when no one, certainly no white guys, were in the audience. Right. Right. I'm uh-huh. at the Beacon Theater, and I'm, and I'm telling my friends, "I'm going." You're like, what? This rap thing is going to blow up. Mm-hmm. Curtis Blow is the man. And they're like, so one brother up there talking. Right. Think, I go, <laughs> I am telling you, we should form a white rap band now. <laughs> I told my friends. Now now it gets to be 79. I'm graduating from high school. And I can rap every song Curtis does. I can do all That's kinds funny. of different rap songs. None of my friends. And then, of course, who comes out? Digital Underground. No. First white band. Oh, um... Beastie Boys. The Beastie, Beastie Boys, Boys come out. Yeah. We're gonna do the do the, and I went. These guys suck, and they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna kill it because they're white. Uh-huh. And they turn around, and we sh- I should have formed the band, but anyway. Right. So I go. I show up, and Dan says they're shooting the the video for same song. Mm-hmm. Did you want to be in it? I'm like, hell yeah, I want to yeah, be in the video yeah. with Humpty Dump. D money, so, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's double D, the WFC. WFC. WFC white. Chocolate. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, well, I was a little bit slow on the uptake there. WFC, I get baby, it. come I on. Get WFC. <laughs> so, so they call me. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm sitting with this kid, and, yeah. and Danny and I, are they, dre- they dress us as sultans with these big things and swords. Oh, God. And we, 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 same song. They're going to give us like two words. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we're protecting the pharaohs, and it's yeah. a really crazy video. Um, and I'm sitting with this kid, and I'm like, he's really quiet, you know. This is pre, you know, everyone did cell phones back then were nuclear devices. Right, that were right. Massive with <laughs> the pull-out antenna, maybe. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd carried over your thing with a uh-huh. giant battery. Yeah. And it's Tupac. And so we're talking, you know, we had lunch together two days in a row. Oh, awesome. Really interesting kid. Really, really interesting. Very shy, you know. Very respectful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he gets, a, he gets his first riff in the same song. That's oh yeah. So cool. yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's so interesting how <laughs> you know, being around a lot of celebrities like we have. Mm-hmm. You notice that people like a Eddie Murphy, they're so quiet when you're around them on the set. Mm-hmm. But then when they go action, they come to life. Right. Yeah. Tupac, you know, I mean, the guy was an activist. You know what I mean? Yeah. When he became Tupac, when he was out there, he was 
but then he's quiet on the set. And I'm sure you've seen that a lot, right? Certain people that are just quiet, but yet they're known in the world as a certain know, way. It's funny because, or, or the <laughs> other thing that happens is, I remember I thought I said one of the most poignant things I've ever read about Robin Williams, and I knew Robin for a long time. Mm-hmm. And finally, Barry Levinson, who who created Homicide: Life on the Streets, the detective show I did in Baltimore, um, he had a very long-running relationship with Robin from doing toys and different movies he did with him. And so he brought Robin in as a guest star. And mm-hmm. on the show, Robin, uh, his, his wife gets murdered outside of Camden Yards. He's a tourist from Iowa, and he watches his wife get gunned down in front of him over an, a, a necklace. Mm-hmm. And so I'm the, the primary investigator on it. So the episode is me versus Robin, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't like me in the episode. So the first day <laughs> we start shooting, he decides he's going he's gonna to check you know, what I'm made out of on set during a scene. Oh. And started swearing at me, and I got white in his face and screamed. Off script, or was it Words part? It could never be said. Okay, right. He just wanted to see. He was checking how you me. react. Right. He wanted to see who had what between their legs. Is what <laughs> ah. Yeah, he was. It was. It was a. It was a dick out contest, you know. And, and so, and I'm looking at him, thinking, I'm on this show. Yeah. I don't care who you are. You're not going to speak to me. And I will write back at him. They had to separate us. And, Whoa. <coughs> and they. Uh, Tom Fontana was the producer show. You can't talk to him that way. And he's a guest on our show. I went, hey, man, this is my house. Right. I'm a serious regular on the show. He came after me and said, I want this effing guy off this investigation. You pussy, you this. And saying all this stuff to me. And I looked at him and I went, Whoa. hey, bitch, you're the one that just watched your wife get shot right in front of you in front of your kids and didn't do anything about it. <laughs> right. I said, so who's talking to who? You mm-hmm. know, and then he got chest to chest. And I, you know, but I knew what Robin was doing. Yeah. He wanted to see if I was going back down to him. Right. He had gotten another actor the day before. They were up on, uh, uh, Kyle Secor, his name was, and they were up on the roof. Mm-hmm. And unscripted, he said to him, you know, the scene's almost over, and Robin just looks at this actor. None of this, is, none of this dialogue I'm about to say is, he goes, what's it like to have the gun? And, and Kyle kind of looked at him and kind of just even like, looked around a little bit. Took him, took him goes, like, what? what? Just, let, me, let me see it. Can I see it? And Kyle went, ah, you know, Mr. Roach, it's really highly improbable. And it's really not, man, just take the bullets out of it. I just want to touch it. I want to hold it. I want to see what that feels like. <laughs> like, I just lost right. his wife. And Kyle, it's Robin Williams asking that. Kyle fell for it. Kyle took the clip out, emptied the, the rack out so of the So you let him manipulate and him. And handed him his gun. And you just see, you just see Robin go, punk. Right, like, right. fail. Gun back like, you would never give your gun right. to a, a pedestrian. You're a detective. But you know what? Kyle didn't know what he was doing. He got, and not the Kyle, he's a great actor. Right. Yeah. But he got caught up in the Robin thing. I knew what he was doing when he was going after me. But the mm. interesting thing that I said when I said the quote was later on, it was it leaked out that he and I were highly volatile together. And Robin called me that night. He goes, You good? And I went, I'm good. You all right? He goes, mm-hmm. Good. See you tomorrow. Right. Cool. It's nothing personal. He just wanted to check in. You know what I'm doing, right? Right. I'm sitting at tension because we had a big scene in the box when I questioned him about mm-hmm. what happened. And he goes, what would you have done? What the hell? You know, and he, <laughs> he flips out of me. He wanted to build that moment. He was that good an actor. And he, he would sacrifice if you can get your ego out of the way. Yeah. Oh, well, Robin hurt my feelings. Oh, come on, man. Bring it. So the L.A. Times woman said to me, what was it like to work with Robin Williams? I said, people forget when they, you know, when they think about all the comedic roles. Did you see Awakenings? 
Did yeah. you see the movie he did with De Niro when he plays the the, the scientist? Am I going? Uh, I mean, Robin's yeah. a great actor. Yeah. I mean, he can play a lot of things. It's not always just doing John Wayne and doing this voice. Right. He's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I said, and you know, it was a, I, I was really looking forward to it. It was great. What was it like to get to know Robin Williams? I didn't hesitate. I went, does anyone get to know Robin Williams? Mm. And the woman looked at me and she went, what do you mean? I go, well, the camera goes off after he's doing the scene where he's playing a guy in that scene. And then suddenly he's doing his impression of what a stereotypical gay voice and he's dancing and then he's doing John Wayne to you. And then he's it's doing, and he goes, hey man, what are you up to, boy? He's doing Mr. T. Right. Uh, I never get, got on set to talk to Robin Williams. Like, I happen to have been probably the only one besides Barry that knew Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. But Robin was always on. Right. He was mm-hmm. always doing a character. He was always somebody else. And now we see what happened to right. him. And right. How confident was Robin in who Robin really was? Right. And did Robin feel that being able to relax and just be himself in front of other people would have been enough? Because right. very rarely did I ever get to see any talk show. He's right. constantly manically on and crazy. You know, and as a drug addict in recovery, I remember having a shrink say to me once, Dr. Gerald Grzanski, one of the greatest human beings ever to get involved in my life, and he said, how safe do you think it is for you to become an actor and be an actor? Because you're uncomfortable being yourself. You fall back into drugs constantly because of how uncomfortable you are being yourself. Mm. And for a living, you portray other human beings. He goes, you might be better off being like a mailman or something, you know? Right. Being an actor might not be the best thing for you, for your personality type and a drug problem. Now, why do you call yourself? Why do you say I'm an addict <clears throat> recovery? Like when when people talk about labeling right. all the time, you know what I mean? Like like some people so say, "Well, I'm not going to say I'm an addict," but yet you're so quick and easy. Even though it's been over 12 years, you've been in right. recovery. Right. Well, so um, Cindy Collier was a, a counselor I had, and when I was in uh, a rehab once, I loved this lady, and she turned around and she. She took a chair, sitting in a chair like this, and she put a chair where you are. She goes, I want you to look straight ahead, and I don't want you to look to either side. Just mm-hmm. keep your head focused straight ahead. Do you see that chair? And I went, yes. And she went, okay. And she moved the chair over here. And she went, look straight ahead. Do you still see the chair? Probably more out of your left eye than your right. I said, I see the chair. Right. And then she moved the chair to you. Uh-huh. And then she turned around and moved the chair all the way back here and walked behind me. And she goes, do you see the chair now? And I said, no. And she smacked me in the back of the head. <laughs> and she went, that's you in nine months. Because you keep taking your eye off the chair, Daniel. Your addiction is that chair. And then she mm. walked over to a whiteboard and she wrote relapse and circled it and made a dotted line all the way up to the upper right and she wrote recovery. You will never reach recovery. You will never be recovered, ever. You will mm. always be moving towards one of those two every second of the day. You, you know, the little lie you tell, the, the chick you were checking out, and your wife goes, were you just looking here? And you go, no. Right. I'm slipping towards relapse. My, it's, it's the behaviors and everything that happens in between before I finally pick that drink up and I take a sip. But mm. there's a lot of activity that happens when you have 12 years of recovery under your belt before you actually pick up the drink and relapse. Right. So am I doing something right now in my life, <clears throat> pardon me, and doing this show with you? Right. That is helping my recovery? Absolutely. I'm talking about my recovery. Yeah. Right. I'm keeping the chair right in the front. Right here. So I always say that I'm an addict because that will never change. I'm a drug addict. I am not very far away 
you know, do I, what would it take for me to actually go out and go cop and use again? Probably quite a bit at this level, right? You yeah. know, but still, the fear of having that relapse and how many times I went to rehab nine times. Mm. Oh, wow. I mean, I spent over a million dollars on my recovery that I'd love to have that money back right now. I'll mm. tell you that. And, and so, no, I will always be a drug addict. Always. Do you feel well, that mm-mm. if people, like, how could someone take that philosophy and understanding and tie it into not just losing the weight, mm-hmm. but living a lifestyle where they don't yeah. gain the weight back? You see the parallels there? Mm-hmm. There's so many. Yes. Um, so I always looked at things that matter the most to me. My children, my two daughters are the most important thing in my life right now. Right. Um, as far as on this planet. Um, the most important thing to me is my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, for sure. Number one, more than my sobriety, more than anything. Um, I would say probably my sobriety is the second most important thing to me because without Jesus and without my sobriety, I wouldn't have my kids, I wouldn't have the job, I wouldn't have Robin, I wouldn't have any of it. So I, I keep those in that order for me. Um, and I say to all of it now, I say, what would you do First of all, keeping my word is really important to me. Like you're talking about. To the point promise. where I'd go run with the bulls. You know right. what I mean? Right. I promised him I would do it, and it was three and a half years. I saw PJ a lot of times. I could have taken him two times, and I didn't take him. That's over with now. I did it. I kept my promise. Keeping my word is very important to me because it's really one of the few things I have that are mine that I have full control right. over. Right. You know, and so it's, it's important that if you, I tell you I'm going to go do something that you know in your heart I'm going to do everything I can to get it done. Um, but I think also the, the thing that helped me most was why do we say we have a certain belief system? Whatever it is. You can be right. Jewish. You can be a Buddhist or whatever. But a lot of them all have a basis of, of honesty, truth, and at the center of them. Mm-hmm. So um, act as if Jesus Christ is standing right next to you because he is. So I would say to my kids, would you have done that if Jesus was standing right next to you? And right away, my daughter would go, no, Dad. <laughs> Probably I, not. I, wouldn't have I go, but what makes you believe that he's not, that you just didn't do that right in front of him? So the key for me with your I knew about your diet. I knew about you. I could have done more back when I was living right down the block here and come here more and show right. more of an interest. In That's right, because you lived here. You I really did. Can. And you know, and Robert made it available. He trained me a couple of times. Yeah. But, but Robert's not going to babysit me. You know, and so I didn't show. Here I was saying things about other other celebrities that you bought involved, and I always tease you about it. And but I didn't do my side. I didn't do it. So it's about your side of the fence. That's a, That's a philosophy of my life. There's... There's my hoo hoo. Right. I'll send this to Robin all the time. It's a picture of this pretty girl holding a hoo hoo up. And I, <laughs> I send it to her. She knows immediately what I mean by it. It means, are you in your hoop right now? Because you feel like you're in mine when you're telling me how to raise my kids or right. what I'm supposed to do. Ah, got it. So the house next door, the guy painted fluorescent pink. <laughs> There's really not a lot I can do about that. Yeah. It's right. not against the law. Does it, even to the point of, does it bring the value of my house down? Does he have cars parked on it they're all yeah but there's nothing i can do about it just like he can't tell me how to cut edge paint my house what goes on in my house right. so it's about my house my vessel my to me having that realization um you, listen you must both from this program and the things that you guys do mm-hmm. how many people you've helped how many times do you see somebody it's like the drug addiction thing for me 
you see somebody you go man they're just not getting it yeah they're not and they're right and they're probably not going to do it i might be too yeah. late you know i might be or absolutely that person's going to be dead in three years you know they're the arteries are clogged and it's so frustrating but you know what there's casualties in every war there are um i'm not going to be a casualty i i take meticulous care of my house now and stay on my side of the fence and you know we, we had conversations today awesome. in the car on the way here about people we know well yeah. that we we're like you know what man all all their intentions are really really good but there's this other stuff going on over here that makes me a little concerned right. about, mm -hmm. you know, y you, you get tells and signs from people, you know. Uh, about where, <coughs> I about where friend, they're really going kind of thing. I have a friend wanted me to do a movie with him recently. Yeah. Um, and I was in New York City. And I walked by, uh, walked by a restaurant. And he was sitting there with this really young, pretty girl. Mm -hmm. and he's got his arm around her and they're kind of nuzzling and he's right in the window of the restaurant and I went <laughs> <laughs> and I know his wife really well oh. right? really well Yikes. like good friends kids play with each other but, oh, no. and I looked at him and I went and he looked up and he went and he immediately did the, the guilty right. right. like that's going to help <laughs> at all like, he's, like, <laughs> he's waving at me to come in and I went like no no dude no it's alright man and so I take it you didn't do the movie with him I did not do the movie with him and it mm. was uh, a lot of money and I really could have used the money because you know for me in my career um, they, they pull a little minivan up and they back it up my driveway and they dump a bunch of money mm -hmm. and then the minivan pulls away and I don't know when the minivan's coming again so when you get those kinds of offers you know and, and, and I've said to Robin I can't if I didn't work for most of the producers or most of the people that were not mm -hmm. at the same level spiritually as me and right. and their conscience wasn't the same or morals i'd never work in hollywood again so i'm willing to as long as i don't have to see it but this was a f i knew his wife well right, right. Be like if, if this be like if you knew barbara's husband kind of thing right where mm -hmm. you know her that well and then you saw him doing something you went dude and and he wanted to get he wanted to bait me or he was gonna try to explain it to me i could see him go right like no 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 bro I saw, I saw, I saw I enough. I saw enough. Nose buried in the neck and tickle, tickle, tickle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He dropped the pencil. Right. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I haven't heard from her. I haven't heard from him. Nothing. And these are people I've talked to, you know, mm -hmm. once a week. Right. Nothing. But no, you it's know important what? who you surround yourself with. Now, we have about, we have about, ten, we have yeah. about 10 minutes, and I got three power questions I got to ask you. Oh. So are you trying to tell me concise answers now? Well, <laughs> no. Yes. We're tightening. No, I wouldn't say no and yes, but I would just say, and I'm sure there's probably a question that you have about. I do. Bring it. Many things came up, but let's. Yeah. Not so long many. ago, I was, in a, I was taking a photo, and oftentimes yeah. after I met you and, and got, you know, spending a lot of time with Greg, I would always, in my photos, have the peace sign. Okay. And so someone said to, about one of the photos, he said, hey, you got to be careful with that peace sign. This was recently. Oh, really? And I go, what do you mean? They go, well, in photos, that peace doesn't always mean peace all around the world, and you may upset someone. I was like, huh? Really? And then it took me back to, like, Daniel and why when they do the peace sign, mm -hmm. it's done in a way, well, go ahead and share it. What is okay, it? So, Break it down. So Break it down, all, What are you referring to? You Break know, it down. You gotta be careful what you do with your fingers like that. You <laughs> but actually be, doing the you could be saying you could be saying something to a gang somewhere. That's right. That's true. Or, or, or the other thing is, um, 
in England, um, now uh-huh. the, the fingers this way mean like F you. Oh. So, but the way the. Uh, and guys, this way, when you turn this way, it means age, something different. This means peace. Okay. For me, from, for me, from the 60s. Peace, peace, love, peace, right? Right. This reversed. Winston Churchill made famous. It meant victory for the Allied forces in World, World War, War II, II to defeat uh-huh. Germany, Japan, so on. That meant okay. Victory. Now, what you're seeing here is the Soba Deuce. Okay, so Soba, the Soba recovery, program, recovery yeah. Greg Hanley's place, that I went and got sober. Yes. At. Okay, we call it the Soba Deuce, but I just call it the Deuce. The Deuce. And it means in the fight. That I means love it. in the fight. And the reason why is because during medieval times, when the French, mm-hmm. who fought against the English, the Scots, the Irish, right. when they captured them, they would cut off their two fingers so they had a hand like this so they couldn't draw a bow ever again and fight them again. So ah. rather than kill them, they, they just... cut the fingers off. So in the field, like in Braveheart. Yeah, yeah, Braveheart? yeah, it was great. When they would stand in the field, the Scots and the Irish would turn around and look at the French when they lined up and go, that's right, that's right, mm-hmm. I'm saying it. That's right, motherfucker. Right. I'm in the fight. I got both my, my, fingers, my fingers and I'm pulling the bow. I'm coming. So they'd line oh, up that's and just awesome. go. Like, it's awesome. So Love whenever it. I'm for a cause, my mom's breast cancer foundation, stuff I do with Robert, we're yeah. helping people. I post that picture and I throw up the deuce. That's awesome. I'm in the fight. I'm in here, the fight. In I'm the here fight. in the fight. Isn't that so cool? That, that is very cool. I love it. Bang. So, so it's not just you trying to be cool. You're there's a there's a subliminal there's a, there, yeah, there's right a, there saying I'm in the fight, man. There's a true meaning behind it. And as we're all in the Check fight. Check out that. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> as we're in the, you know, it's, it's like not long ago I was talking to Greg because I'm constantly looking at like clinicals and outcomes and studies and research, right? Mm-hmm. And so in looking at that, you start to see a lot of the same challenges that we're having. And in the world that we live in today, 2019, almost 2020, there's two major epidemics and challenges we have. One has to do with excess body fat, right. which we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the opioid, the, the addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Those yeah. are like the two major, those are two major problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's being in the fight because you're now helping with both of those. With both, yeah. Isn't that cool? What do they do a cross-reference to find out that certain levels of fat cause addiction? Whoa! Then we'll yeah. be causing. Yeah. We'll, then we'll be chasing all of it. <laughs> well, isn't Doing it true it that a lot of the young ladies, many that I've met at you know through Soba and in Texas, et cetera, mm-hmm. they kind of started using meth and using some drugs because they didn't want to gain weight. Body image problems. Yeah. Right. Confidence issues. I'm sure mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Sure. And then they get you know obviously you become addicted to it, and then you think if I ever do get off of this drug, I'm probably going to gain weight. I mean, have you experienced that or heard that from young ladies? Going yeah. through the process. Yeah. yeah, your experience with young ladies is far more vast than mine, though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> Watch out, everybody. <laughs> All right, now, what questions do you have for Daniel before we get out of here? Oh, there's so many, but um, I was actually was thinking of a few, but this is the one that's sticking with me right now. It's because you did mention your girls and how important they are to you. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you started your career so young, right? And you have this very famous, well-known family. Mm-hmm. Would you be... Opposed to your daughters following in your footsteps, of, oh my god! Because of all that, and then the challenges oh that you've—you know god. what I mean? Like, yeah. Do they have signs of wanting yeah, to be like TV or YouTubers? I'm sure. Because I just oh. and there's another thing on top of that, especially with social media now and just the maybe lack of oh, no. privacy. It's so hard to keep things really private and Listen. sacred anymore. Oh, sh- 
Okay, so you're, <laughs> on, you're on the show. Say hi to Barb. Hi, baby. And say hi. To hello, Barbara. hello. All right, so I have, you, I have you on the show, and I want you to answer this question. What do you want to do for a career when you get older? Oh! <laughs> oh no! Say it ain't so. Be a doctor. Oh. Oh. All right. Well, there you, you go. See? You got a, <laughs> okay. Is it a twosome now? Oh, she my daughter see? comes to me and she says to me, yeah. she goes, "You know, Dad. Now remember too, it is way harder for a girl to make it than it is for a guy, just because of mathematics does not lie. Mm-hmm. There are more women on the planet." Mm-hmm. the number of roles in film and television are about 10 to 1. Look at any movie, how many guys are in the movie, right. even the small parts, Interesting. to how many girls. Yeah. There's the lead guy, his wife. There's the, the you know, Halle Berry's the bad chick, you know, and there's right. nine bad guys after her. Right. right. So, you know, it's such a male-dominated yeah. um, th- uh, thing. So, you know, and knowing what you're judged for, you know, exactly. if, yeah. if every girl, you know, you could be a guy and have an eyeball hanging out and your hair going sideways and you play a guitar and you're in, right. you know, but a girl has to be sexy, pretty, good it's, shape. I mean, it's just such an unfair thing for them, what they face. And right. I'm coming up against that now, mm-hmm. even at 11, you know, when she starts to, and she, so, you know, I'm pretty hip dad, you know, but I'm, yeah. I mean, I want to keep the boundaries where they're comfortable for my kids. So <laughs> we're starting to talk about my younger 10-year-old is budding now before my 11-year-old. So, you know, we yeah. go to the doctor, we get the physical, and she goes, I think she's going to start her cycle soon. The 10-year-old. I went at 10? Yeah. Right. I said, are you kidding me? I go, they're going to be going bananas together, <laughs> huh? I went, oh, my God. Oh, that's so, going to be very interesting. Yeah. Right? right? So, so, so <laughs> I'm talking to him about, I go, girls, we need to have a little talk. I said, you know, I'm not sure what talk you've had with mommy or whatever, and, you know, it's, it's been a difficult thing for the girls with right. me and their mom because their mom has had some problems with alcohol mm. herself. So, okay, got it. Uh, that are still unresolved. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm having that weird conversation with Avis going, well, you you do know that. She goes, Dad, I know I'm going to have my period. Dad, I know I'm, my boobs are growing, blah, blah, blah. She goes, I really don't think I need to talk to you about this, okay? And I went, <laughs> okay. Well, I just want you to know that I know a little about it, and if you do want to talk to Daddy about it. So I want, I want it to be Trying open. Trying to keep it open. But you got to be really careful about what you tell them they can't do. Because right. if they're anything like me, that's going to make them more curious and they're going to want to do it. Want to do right. what you so said. So she's got Finn, my little snitch, Finn, Finley, my younger daughter, comes up to me and she goes, you know, Avis has a boyfriend. You do know that, right? And I went, oh, she's 11. And I thought, do you have boyfriends at 11? I mean, I have older daughters and... I don't remember it at 11. I, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, I knew I started to notice girls and that, that was kind of funny. It felt a little different talking to them. But, right. But I was playing ball and I was, you know, right. 13, 14 for sure. I, yeah. Know, I started to, girls started developing breasts. They were different. You yeah. looked at them, blah, blah. But 11? And, and yeah, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. I'm not. So I don't want to tell her not to be an actress mm-hmm. but god please don't ever want to be an actress you know i mean there's it's, it's yeah. such a heartbreaking experience for how hard and how lucky and how i mean you look at four boys there lies the oddity in the baldwin family yeah. dynamic so one in 2500 actors is able to 
work as an actor and not subsidize that. One in 2,500 in right. Los Angeles County. Think about those odds for right. me. Now say times four in the mm -hmm. same family. What would the odds of that be? And then add on to that, my last name isn't Sheen or Carradine or mm -hmm. Barrymore. You know, I'm not somebody from my father was a fa My father was a school teacher. Mm -hmm. No one in my family before, not a single producer, a grip, a camera guy. Right. No one was involved in this profession. When you add that into four at 2,500 to what one, the odds that's an astronomical right. yeah, number. That's you know, that, incredible. That, that four boys were able to make a living in varying degrees. Yeah. Um, so do I want my daughter to go? Well, she'll have things paid for her a little, a little right. easier. You know, Ireland... Uh, uh, Alex's daughter, very pretty, very successful model. Right. I think she should probably act. I, I can see Ireland. She's very goofy and funny. I don't know that she's ever going to do that. And she's getting a, already at you know 24 or whatever. Of course, the next in line will be, will Haley do something in front of the camera? Right. She's yeah. done Drop the Mic, and she's done very well with acting, and, and her husband is very, very successful. Right. You know, I don't know that she has it either, you know? And I don't mean it meaning that's something there's deficient. Right, but just there's a desire. A, there's a, well, there's a thing, though, you know? There's, I have a very good friend that I do some work with from time to time, and he just wants to be an actor so bad. And yeah. he's, he's okay, you know? I don't have the heart to tell him when I look at his work, going, boy, you're not going to get a TV series. You're not. Right. Yeah. You know, unless, unless you're making it on your own. You know, you're... You're just not. Mm -hmm. he, you're a good three-line guy in the background, or you know, you're, hey, sir, did you want me to park that right now, or did you want me to leave it up front? You know, and you're out. You right. know? Yeah. But every time I've seen him do anything that's dramatic or anything that's supposed to be pretty fun, okay. how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, now, now we, we we do have to wrap it up. Uh, uh, we could be here. One more question coming. I thought. Well, there. I mean, there could be like uh, there's thousands of questions. Yeah. Which is so a, many. a good sign. He's just jealous of the the spark that's going on here. <laughs> The connection. No, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. But do, do you have like a, a final question for Daniel? I actually have a thought. Well, okay. I just have thought? a thought that um, this went so well that how awesome it would be to have you on here regularly. What do you think about that? And we get rid of Robert? I would like to see. Oh! Hey, you know what yeah. they should do is cut to my reaction when you first said that. So I know. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that would be good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be great to have Daniel. Yeah, it would know. be good. I would love to. Awesome. What do you think about coming in sometimes and maybe doing like a roving reporter report into you guys. Oh. Would that be cool? The roving reporter? I mean, you yeah, saw like some a, of the videos he like, did with the cooking in the kitchen and stuff. Right. Uh, yeah, I did. How so fun. if I did like a little cooking segment for five minutes or, or what if I did, you know, live from the sidelines at a game or How awesome. you know, something fun. That would be cool. That would be very, yeah. very cool. I might be the, I might be the eye in the sky. All right. Yeah, the eye in the sky. That's right. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm glad. I mean, I, I know well, you're very have... flattered that you asked me that. Oh, thank well, you. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to like take it somewhere else and get off of you're that like, topic, but I guess we, I guess again. we got to have a whole conversation about it. <laughs> I mean, would would yeah. you consider that though, being a, like a regular on? Would you? I'm sorry. Is Robert still in the room? I thought, <laughs> I thought we were doing episode one of our show. It'll be the Daniel, uh, Barbara, Robert. That's you know, right. Babs and D Money. I would be. You know, you need to know something mm -hmm. that I've told you before. He's in I'm in the fight. fight with you now. We're gonna help people. That's that circle. That's step twelve to me. That's the circle that I have with him because mm -hmm. he kept me around. So we're gonna make documentaries. We're gonna do this show. We're going to have apps. We're going to do things. So if this helps, which I believe it does, yes. other people, I'm in the fight with you, bro. You're my bro now. Well, there you yeah. go.
Yeah, and I guess cool. you're. I guess and you're and cool. the set just got a lot better, good looking. <laughs> now that we got Babs, <laughs> so we have Babs in the house. But What's no, up? thank you, Daniel, for making time for I us. Know, thank we, you so much. One hundred percent appreciate yeah. it, and Excited. we'll have a meeting, uh, Barbara, about that. Babs, <laughs> and, 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 uh, with yeah. Ferg, and, and as they were saying, Hollywood, we'll be in touch, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> our people will talk to your people. Yeah. Is it something? Yeah, like our people. Like, will, I don't know that I'm just. I'm just thinking. As my daughters would say, holler. Thank you, sir. Yeah.